think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. We're really excited today because we have Ed Hearn, and he is a member of the 1986 world champion New York Mets, and he was a catcher. And, you know, I've actually never talked to anybody who's actually won a championship. So welcome to the show, Ed. Well, thank you, Lori. You won the World Series in what year? It was 1986. That was my rookie season in the big leagues. So, uh, you know, there's been some great ball players that have played the game of baseball and never had a chance to be in a World Series, let alone win one. So it's, it's, it was quite the honor. Now, you were a catcher, and then you were cha- traded to the Kansas City Royals. Um one of the things, I mean, it can be probably just absolutely overwhelming, and you probably had to be working out all the time and practicing. Were you undergoing kidney disease during this time? Yes. Uh, I, I was diagnosed between my junior and senior year of, of high school. Uh, I had a very bad virus, uh, and uh, when I took the football physical just prior to my senior year, they they said that I was spilling protein, and uh, my creatinine was like 1.8 to so they sent me to a specialist across the state. I grew up on the east coast of Florida, and they sent me to Tampa, Florida, to see an expert. And um, it went kind of like uh, he said, uh, yes, you've, you've had some damage to your kidney. And uh, I said, okay, is there a treatment? He said, well, what we can do is we can uh, biopsy your kidney. And, and then, um, and he didn't go any further, and I said, well, uh, you'll be able to put a, You'll be able to get some treatment, form of treatment from there. And he goes, no, we'll just be able to put a name on it. And more than likely, uh, somewhere down the line, later in life, uh, you, you probably are going to be a candidate for dialysis or transplant. And I said, well, you know, there's nothing you can do about this. And I may or may not go to kidney failure. And he said, yeah, when you have this sort of just minimal damage, it can go either way. And um, I, he said, the best thing we can do is put a name on it. And I said, well, you're not sticking a big old needle in my back just for a name. So if you're not going to be able to do anything about it, he said, well, we could put you on some medications to help reduce the possibilities. And I said, well, tell me about the medications. And then he started to describe different meds. And, and I said, well, what kind of impact would these have on, say, like hand-eye coordination or muscle development or I was thinking about my potential career at that point. I mean, I was going into my senior year, but already I had been looked at by scouts in, in football and baseball. And um, he said, well, yeah, that could could hinder, could even hinder your eyesight a little bit. And, and in baseball, it's a very, uh, it's a fine motor skill uh, occupation. And I said, well, if, if you can't tell me that it's going to help for sure, and it just seemed like it was, it was almost like it was all, all experimental. And so I just said, well, you know, I'll take, uh, you know, blood pressure, a little bit of blood pressure medication. And that's all I took for the next uh, 14 years. 
and I played through uh, the next, you know, I went through my senior year. I was drafted out of high school with the Phillies, played eight and a half years at minor leagues, and finally 1986 was part of my rookie year. We won the World Series there with the Mets, um, and then I was traded to Kansas City the following spring. Kansas City was looking for a guy to, to um, they needed a starting catcher to round out the team and get them back to the World Series. They had won in 1985. So I got traded there, and then all of a sudden I had a I had a severe shoulder injury, and I had major reconstructive surgery on that shoulder and battled for a couple of years and just came very close to coming back. And finally, in the um, I finally was kind of forced out of the game. Just wasn't any more opportunities. And my first spring out of the game was 1990. By 1991, a year later, I was being put on dialysis. It seemed like the progression of FSGS, which is uh, focal segment on nephritis, uh, it just blossomed. It just, I mean, I had slowed my creatinine, slowly crept up, and but I was still playing ball, and, and I was up in the two and a half range creatinine as a player, but um, the baseball people didn't know that much more about it. They just assumed if I could do the job, I'd be, I was fine. So um, I just played through it until you know, and after I was done, I stopped being a professional athlete, and I stopped totally training and being a big, hulky guy, you know. And it was just like it mushroomed out of nowhere because I stopped all the physical exercise, the most part, because I was transitioning into the real world. Now, what year did you start dialysis? I started in uh, 1991, and, and I was transplanted by 1992. So who did you receive your transplant from? Well, my first transplant, uh, it was an amazing thing. I started on peritoneal dialysis, and uh, I had just gotten comfortable with that and went on my first business trip to Denver to a conference from Kansas City. And I returned home from, from that conference, and I, I remember clearly it was the NFL draft day, and uh, some of the old Chiefs guys invited me to a draft day party, and I went to that party, came home, and the phone rang, and I had only been on the waiting list three weeks uh, a lady said, this is Mr. Hurt? And I said, yes. And she said, well, how would you like to have a kidney? And I said, oh, that's great. I'd like it with pepperoni and sausage and do you deliver? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was only three weeks I was on the, the waiting list. And yeah. I, at that time, it was, oh, about two-year waiting for a kidney on the donor list. So I thought somebody was pulling a really ugly prank on me. And uh, <laughs> so this gal kind of straightened me out and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my goodness, and my wife wasn't there, and I just kind of freaked out. And, and then within 24 hours, I was transplanted, and uh, everything went very well. I think three or four years later, we were on the Oprah Winfrey Show with a book that I wrote called Conquering Life's Curves, Baseball Battles and Beyond. And uh, we did one segment, and then at the end of that segment, Oprah announced that we were going to be meeting my donor family. Oh, wow. And so, wow, is right. Um, we had uh, both had been communicating anonymously as things the way it used to be, and they still have, I guess, a pretty stringent, well, I, I don't know what, how strict it is now, but that time it was pretty strict. But we kind of left clues in our correspondence that didn't get whited out. And apparently uh, in one of our Christmas cards, that we sent to the organ donor bank, which was then forwarded to the, the donor's family. And then they would write back to the organ donor 
and they would black out or white out all the pertinent information. Well, they neglected to to white out my name, Ed. So, and and when the young man, his name was Chip. When Chip was uh, Chip was on leave from in the service, he was stationed out in Fort Riley, Kansas, and it was an auto accident. And when they flew out to his, to see Chip, and he was on life support, and he was approached about organ donation. Uh, I guess they they let out a little more information than they probably should have in saying that uh, one of your kidneys may go to a former major league player. So they had remembered that, and then when they saw my name, Ed, and I was in Kansas City, and they started putting the pieces together, and all of a sudden, uh, when I wrote that book in 1994, uh, we were just finishing next to the last day of the completion of my book, and the phone rang upstairs, and it was my work line, uh, and my wife answered it upstairs, and next thing I know, 45 minutes to an hour later, she's still on the phone, and I dropped upstairs. I said, I gotta get her off my line, so I dropped up there. I said, I tapped her on the shoulder, wait, what are you doing, that's, that's this line. And then she got a piece of paper out, and she said, it's your donor's mom. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh my goodness. So we spoke that later that night. She didn't want to speak to me until uh, her husband returned from work, but that night they called and I spoke to him for the first time and uh, and we actually uh, officially met on the Oprah show. That's such an emotional issue and then to uh, be on national TV, I mean, it must have just been overwhelming. Yeah, you know, my life has been that way. It's, it's, you know, there's not been much middle ground. It's, you know, <laughs> I tell folks, I I kind of went to the, I was at the penthouse and went to the outhouse and and, and the last 15 years has been uh, just trying to come back and as you know, I'm, I'm a speaker, and I've been speaking for 16 years uh, all across the country to groups from major corporate groups to uh, schools, churches, uh, a lot of associations. And I've had two transplants. The first transplant lasted eight years. I had a, uh, a living-related transplant from an aunt that, uh, that didn't work. Highly, highly unusual circumstances. Two years later, I had a, a living non-related transplant, a gentleman who was about three years ahead of me in school. Uh, had always, he had followed my career as a ball player and stuff, and when he found out that I was back on dialysis, you know, at first, at first really, there in Kansas City, after I had had two transplants, you develop some antibodies and it makes it more difficult to get subsequent transplants, but uh, in Kansas City, they, they said, you have very high antibody levels, and you know, you might have to go to like a Mayo Clinic, have any possibility of being transplanted. So we went to Mayo in Rochester, Minnesota, and they use uh, the less stringent of the two antibody tests. And they said, eh, you're no big deal. You just got to find a donor. All we have to do is, is cross-match uh, and we'll double-check the exact antibodies to make sure he doesn't have the, the ones you have, and then we, we can do it. And so we just sent out an email just asking people to keep us in in their prayers and uh, that the right donor might just come along and uh, we sent that out to about 50, 75 people and had 13 people from that email volunteer, which wow. wasn't the, the real, it wasn't why we sent the email, we are just letting people know because a lot of people had followed my career and 13 people stepped forward and amazingly five were potential candidates. Well, so how long has that been? 
But that has now been, that was eight years ago, just past the eight and a half year mark on my third kidney. Well, I've had the fortune of speaking with you in, in different groups, and you are an absolute wonderful speaker and an inspiration. One of the messages I'd like you to share is, you know, you hear you, you know, were a high-performing athlete and had basically everything at your fingertips, and then you transitioned to just having a severe illness, and you said you weren't able to exercise. Um, how did you deal with that, and how do you cope, and how did you come back? Well, those are great questions, Lori, as you know. Um, uh, I, after my first transplant, uh, I mean, I had lost my, my baseball career, and within a year I had lost my health. And people always say, if you, you know, you got your health, you, you know, you're still good to go no matter what happens in your life. And it was a pretty big deal losing my baseball career and then losing that precious health. And, um, uh, but I handled it pretty good uh, mentally and emotionally until I got on uh, some of the immunosuppressive medications. And as, and as you know, there's some side effects, and, and we all experience different variations of those side effects, but they sent me down into a pretty major depression and uh, had a real battle on my hands. And wow. But from that day on, I walked up the 13 steps from my basement, and I remembered uh, hearing a speaker at that Denver conference that I went to. The only conference I went to was I was making the transition, and a fellow by the name of Zig Ziglar said, you can change where you're at in life by what you put into your mind. And so one of the major steps for me was I took that to heart and began to, I became a reader. I read everything from the Bible to uh, Zig Ziglar and uh, Tony Robbins, uh, Earl Nightingale, all great uh, positives and encouragement type of writers. And I listened to tons of tapes, just trying to feed myself positively. Uh, and actually, I did two other things. I got back to the basics of my faith, and that was that was a, a big help. And the third thing I did was was I got help uh, professionally. I, I began to see a psychologist, and you know that's kind of hard for men to do, uh, even today. But it was of great benefit, and it was shortly thereafter. It was only a week later, and I really hadn't overcome my mental and emotional challenges, but a former Chiefs player, football player there in Kansas City, called me and asked me to speak at a road race club. And he was he was in charge of bringing in speakers, uh, you know, just anybody locally, whatever. And, uh, the guy had bailed on him, and tomorrow was their meeting. And I said, oh, David, I can't. You know, it's just... And I didn't tell him why at the time, but I had just been in my basement and I mean, I was really struggling, but he talked me into it, and it was just, uh, it was meant to be. It was, I believe, God's plan for my life, and I spoke there, and there was a Speaker's Bureau who was there, uh, president of the Rotary Club and president of the Speaker's Bureau, and the gentleman came up to me afterwards. He said, man, you got a great story from an old jock you tell. Well, and Corporate Miracle pay you to do that, and I work with top speakers in the country, and he said, I don't usually mess around with people that have never, you know, spoken professionally. They have to be pretty seasoned for me to work, you know, get them to, to book them. And I said, well, he handed me his card, and I said, well, thanks, but uh, basically no thanks because uh, it's just not right. But six months later, I had begun to turn the corner, and my mental and emotional stability came back, and I called this fellow, and I said, you know, when you handed me that card, it looked like another light at the end of the tunnel, and I was afraid it was a train coming, but maybe this there's some purpose behind this. And um, 
And so I, I started messing around with the speaking business. And uh, for me, having the opportunity to share from my life, which has been a crazy journey from the, as I say, the penthouse of a World Series championship in your rookie year in the big leagues, to losing all that when within a year, losing your health. And, and the kidneys were not the only physical challenge that were discovered there shortly after my career ended. But I've, I've learned since that, uh, you know, when we deal with stuff, we have to do the best we can. We have to be very, very strict about the medications and taking them and, and following all the doctor's, you know, prescriptions. And all we have to do exactly what they say is transplants to give ourselves the best chance to, to be able to live a long life with a transplant. Uh, but the greatest thing that I've seen out of this is when I began to see that I could help bring perspective to other people's life. It's not about the money. It's about being able to impact people's lives, as you know well, as you do so very well yourself. And I, I too, have seen you, <laughs> as you know. And, you know, you you got to know how great that feels. And I think that was one of the greatest things that that, that happened in my life. And, and as I've looked at your organization, I see that you've trained people to go out. And by doing that, you're not only impacting the people that those people are talking to, maybe educating them about the different types of dialysis and, and the different type of kidney diseases and transplant potentials, but the people that are going out that have already experienced that stuff, you're empowering them to feel good about exactly. themselves and thereby being able to put behind them the challenges that they faced in dealing with the diseases uh, in their own life. Well, you know, it's a psychological paycheck that you get. I mean, really, it's really exciting when you can use your own experiences. And I've seen so many people who have kidney disease be afraid to tell their story, and they get a little bit better, and they get they get empowered, and then you can't stop them. And it's so exciting to see that transition. Well, you know, it really is when you're diagnosed with chronic kidney disease or you're living with it, uh, you feel really alone. And the goal of the Renal Support Network has always been to help patients network with each other and then network with the community to tell their story. I mean, it's patients helping patients. And because, you know, somebody's sitting in the audience and they've been told by their, you know, nephrologist that they're in stage four chronic kidney disease, and they don't know what to, you know, they don't do or who to talk to. So by talking to another patient, you uh, it relieves your fears. And basically, when you have an illness, you basically are conquering fears all the time. And, you know, you have to have a lot of things in place to be able to deal with this. I mean, you need your family and support. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about your support system. And I know you have a son named Cody. Is he interested in baseball? Well, he is. You know, he, he doesn't have the, the same passions that I did. And, uh, the willingness to work in that particular area of his life. He's uh, he's he's a he'll be a sophomore this year in high school, and he's developed a real passion for uh, science, biologies, and uh, more specifically uh, uh, the study of birds and wildlife. And he actually, as a, as a freshman, won the Kansas State Ornithology Division of Science Olympiad. Came in 26 in the country last year as a freshman, so I'm very proud of him for that. But speaking of support systems, I was so blessed. I met a nurse in 1986. We married in 1987, and I, I tell people, I tell her, you kissed the prince and got the frog. It's supposed to be the other <laughs> way around. But, uh, you know, I guess God knew that I would 
I would, could be helped along by having a nurse. And uh, my wife of 23 years, Tricia, has just been a tremendous, tremendous support. And another great thing is, is, is finding, is having a, a good medical support system. Um, you know, I, I often recommend to people that when they're facing this kind of health problem, that it may not be your, um, how do I say this politely, local yokel hospital that can handle it. And don't be afraid to get a second opinion and maybe even a third until you find a doctor who you can say, oh, I understand this. Because there is, there is some complexity that we go through in, in renal failure. And, and what the things that we need to be careful about, what we eat and drinking, uh, amounts of fluid, etc. Sometimes that alone can be overwhelming. So I try to recommend people that they don't just maybe stop at the first doctor that makes a diagnosis. If you have the opportunity, go and get second, third opinions. And not only with a doctor, but see what kind of social worker is on the team. You know, what kind of uh, dialysis nurses because all those people become a team, and the more ones, the more good people you can have on that team that you can relate to and understand, the better you're going to feel, and then ultimately the better you're, the better patient you will be, and you'll be much more compliant, and and you'll really get it that it can, this all this can work out fine because modern medicine is doing some great things. Well, you know, it's always good to know your options, but it really does become a family. I mean, you know, we don't get better. It's a chronic illness, so we always have to see uh, kidney care professionals for the rest of our lives. So um, I always say it's kind of like getting together with Thanksgiving dinner, and there's just certain people you like better than others, and uh, um, and that's what you're going to find in your care team, but you have to make it work. Exactly. And well, sometimes you have more control over that than you might think uh, in, in checking into different options as far as different facilities or different uh, teams in, in different locales. So I think that's certainly a great idea. Well, I know that you have an exciting event coming up, which you're basically going full circle. You're going to be back in New York with the Mets. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I just found out about that recently. I do a lot of work for the NEFCURE organization, uh, N-E-P-H-C-U-R-E, and it's the only nonprofit that's totally dedicated to uh, finding a cure and educating people uh, an awareness for focal segmental glomerular nephritis and nephrotic syndrome. Those two kind of go together in the, the renal world, and they're based out of Berwyn, Pennsylvania. And the Mets, I guess, apparently approached them about doing an Ed Hearn NEFCURE day at the stadium. And so September 10th, you know, I'm just a small name, I tell people. I've only got two names. I'm not a big-name player, you know. But uh, it's it's really kind of gratifying to for them to recognize the work that I've done since I faced uh, the challenges, uh, not only from a renal diagnosis, but other complications and and uh, other diagnoses, and that I've turned that into something that, as you too have done a wonderful job of impacting people and helping others. And I'm telling you, I, I only have to guess, but I, I, I mean, I know that you, Lori, feel great when you have the opportunity to help others. And we all do. Well, it's just, it's just wonderful feeling because it, 
you know, when I throw the prom every year for all the teenagers with kidney disease. And I, you know, I started that because, you know, first of all, I didn't go to my own prom. And, and then I felt very lonely during my teenage years. And I thought, well, why don't I make a prom for other teens who are going through the, the same experience. Of course, I'm a little bit older, but I've been going to a prom for uh, over a decade, every single year, and, and have a blast. So if you get out there, it really just takes uh, initiative. Um, I guess one of the things that I really admire is you just have so much initiative, and you really do need initiative when you have an illness. You have to kind of sometimes just recreate your life, and it can be just a, a better life. You just have to be able to look for it. You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot in life is that that the greatest growth we have as human beings comes in the midst of our greatest challenges. And certainly, chronic renal disease uh, is a, a worthy challenge. Uh, but if people are, they have the right people around them, or if they're able to talk to the right people, and then they can get, can get their arms around it and get through it, and then begin to give back. And, and use that to impact people. It's amazing. Um, and I know you know what I'm talking about because you've been there and you have really done that. So I don't need, I'm, I feel like I'm talking to the choir here. <laughs> well, for the people listening, your story is so inspiring. And especially, you know, I mean, for men who've had extremely incredible careers and been athletes their whole life and had to transition back, your story is going to really resonate with them because it's it's got to be just overwhelming. You know, after I went through all this and began to speak in the very beginning of the speaking, it just came back to me that, that you know, this is so much more meaningful to mankind than when I was a professional athlete. I mean... Having the challenges, going through the challenges, provided a platform for me that was far greater than that of being a professional athlete. And so, you know, that's why I encourage people to think outside themselves. Don't get down. You're going to have some pity parties, but you got to break them up. And uh, a nurse one night caught me in a pity party three nights after that first transplant. And she said, boy, let me tell you something my mama told me. She said, be thankful for the shoes you got because one day you're going to meet the man with no feet. Yep, that's so true. Well, there's there's a, one of my sayings is is when one door closes, another one opens, but it's hell in the hall. Hey, you're <laughs> right about that one. So, so. you know, for, for those people that may be listening to this, if you're dealing with the hell, you got a great world awaiting you, and, and you, can, you folks can be confident in that the medical technology today has grown so greatly. Well, Ed, I thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with us, and we look forward to um, you know hearing more about some of your travels. And please keep us updated on what you're doing because you know you're an inspiration to everyone. Well, thank you, Lori, and I'll just leave you in the audience with with my favorite saying: It's just you got to keep swinging for life's fences, regardless of the curves. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 